You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. So over the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at Psalms 67 and 68. And in my plan, God willing, over these two weeks is to preach two sermons about our missionary calling as the people of God. Today's sermon is going to be like a part one, and next week in Psalm 68, it's going to be like a part two. And uh, my, my prayer for these two sermons is pretty simple. I'm asking, and I want to invite you to ask this with me, I'm asking that God by Spirit would lead our church to greater faithfulness in His purpose to magnify His glory among all nations. God has given us as the people of God, as the church of Jesus Christ, as this this local assembly called Cities Church, God has given us a calling for the sake of his name among all peoples. And I believe that now is a good time as a, as a church rooted, now is a good time for us to step into that missionary calling with a renewed passion and energy. And I think that Psalm 67 and then Psalm 68 will help us in that. And so there are just two basic things that we're going to try to do today in Psalm 67. The first is that I want us to understand the meaning of Psalm 67. Just understand the meaning of this particular psalm. And then secondly, I want us to uncover a theme that we see here that goes for the whole of scripture. There's a central message that we see in Psalm 67 that speaks to Something that's, that, that kind of runs throughout the whole grand storyline of the Bible. So understand the meaning in this particular psalm and then uncover this, this theme that we see in the whole Bible. That, those are the two parts, two points of the sermon today. And there are some things here. I just want to tell you up front. I'm, I'm really excited to show you some things here throughout the whole Bible. And so just as a heads up, this sermon is going to be one of those that feels more like a Bible study. Okay, so just I want you to have your, your, your Bible or a phone and be prepared. We don't always do it this way, but today be prepared to turn to a few passages of Scripture. I'll give you a heads up. I'll tell you where it's going to be. But I want us to turn to places because I want you to see for yourself what the text is saying. And then we'll do that. And I promise at the end we'll have a moment of application and uh, perhaps even a little plot twist at the conclusion. So just that's the plan. Hang with me. And, uh, and then I'm, I'm looking forward to what we get to talk about. Let me, let me pray again before we jump in. Father in heaven, in this moment, we want to just, just stop, just pause and acknowledge that you are the biggest person in the room. The biggest thing in the room. You, you are more real than anything. And so we ask now to be aware of that ultimate reality and to be drawn into that ultimate reality, even as in this moment we thank you for your word and we thank you for how you, by your spirit, thank you for how you speak, how you work through your word. And so by your grace now in this moment, we humble ourselves before you and we ask for you to do in us and through us Whatever you want for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, so first here, we're just going to try to understand Psalm 67. This psalm can be divided up into two parts. Verses 1 and 2 stand alone as the theological heart of the psalm. And then verses 3 to 7 is the hope that flows from that heart. So Psalm 67, heart and hope. That's what we got, heart and hope. We're going to look first at the hope, come back to the heart. The hope here in Psalm 67 is that all the nations of the earth worship God. Start with verse 3 there. Look at verse 3. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Anytime when we're reading the Bible and we see a word like peoples, plural, in the Old Testament especially, and especially so even in the Psalms, when we see a word like that, it's talking about all the nations of the earth outside of the nation of Israel. Okay, so peoples is referring to Gentile pagan nations, sometimes the enemies of Israel. They're, they're peoples outside of, not part of ethnic Israel. Peoples, nations, is always talking about all non-Jewish people. In Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul calls these people strangers to the covenants of promise. Sometimes in the biblical text, they're called peoples, like we see here in Psalm 67. Other times they're called nations, sometimes foreigners, sometimes all mankind or the ends of the earth. Or sometimes the Bible will just mention the people groups by name, like Egyptians or Cushites or Hittites or Philistines and, and on and on. You've seen this before. The Bible has a lot to say about the nations. And once we get the idea, once we see that, once we understand that, and all these references to the nations, it becomes something that's hard not to see. In fact, maybe you've noticed this the last few weeks, but in the immediate Psalms leading up to Psalm 67, there has been an all-nations theme that's been building. And I want you to see it. So turn back for a minute to Psalm 64, verse 9. I want you just to note the language here. Psalm 64, verse 9. There's that little phrase there in verse 9. Then all mankind fears. So God's justice towards people gets the attention of all mankind. And, and the result, the response to God's work is that all mankind fears. All mankind. Look at Psalm 65, verse 2. Oh, you who hears prayer. To you shall all flesh come. So the God who hears doesn't just hear the people of Israel, but he hears all flesh. All flesh, nations, peoples, the ends of the earth, shall come to God. Psalm 65, verse 5. 65, verse 5. O God of our salvation... Ire is, that's David talking. He's talking about himself, about Israel. God is our salvation. But more than that, look at this. He's the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. Psalm 65, verse 8. Verse 8. God's power is displayed so that those who dwell 
at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. See that? Psalm 66, verse 1. There's a command to all nations. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Psalm 66, verse 4. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Then in verse 8, bless our God, O peoples. So see, even before we get to Psalm 67 here, we've been talking about the nations. There's been talk about the nations. We see it in the immediate context here of the Psalms. But, but really, this goes back to the very beginning of the Psalms. Think back to Psalm 2, the second Psalm, which is a Psalm that's all about the Messiah. Well, one of the ways that God the Father honors his Son, one of the ways that God the Father honors the Messiah is that he says to him in Psalm 2, verse 8, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage. The ends of the earth, your possession. God says that to Jesus. The same idea is repeated in Psalm 22, verse 27. As there, it's another messianic psalm. As a result of the Messiah's suffering and exaltation, David writes, Psalm 22, verse 27, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. So see, Psalm 67, verse 3 here, is just joining in on an already established theme in the Psalms. We've seen this already. This is... Repetition. I want you to see it here. I want you to look, look at the, 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 there's six justive verbs in a row in Psalm 67. These are third-person commands that express a, a wish or a hope of the speaker. You can always see it with that little word, let. Any, anytime you see that little word, let, that's what's happening here. Look at verse 3. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. See that? That's this same verse is repeated in verse 5. Then in verse 4, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Verse 7, let all the ends of the earth fear him. You guys see that in Psalm 67? Six times there. Let, 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 let. And it's about the worship of God from all nations. This is the hope of Psalm 67. The, the hope of Psalm 67 and the hope leading up to Psalm 67 is that God will be worshipped by all the nations on the earth. The hope is this. The hope is that all nations will worship the Lord. That's the hope, and it flows from the heart. So now we got to go back to verses 1 and 2. All right, so we're, we're digging in here, verses 1 and 2. At one level, the, 1 and 2, these are just simple, simple words. We could just fly past these when we're reading the Bible. But if we slow down and we look closer, here is where I think we find it in Psalm 67, verses 1 and 2. 
Here is what's going to lead us to uncover a central message in the entire biblical storyline. And I know that's the big statement, but track with me here, okay? This, I want you to see this. Look at verse 1. Verse 1 starts, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Selah, which means stop for a minute and think if you've ever heard these words before. It's my translation. And we have heard these words before. Psalm 67, verse 1, sounds like one of the most famous blessings in the entire Bible. We sing about it. It goes back to Numbers chapter 6. So I want you, if you, if you can here, turn back to Numbers chapter 6. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And get acquainted with Numbers because I got a feeling we're going to be turning there next year, okay? Numbers is coming up, all right? So uh, number six. Now in number six, verse 22, God tells Moses to command Aaron and his sons, the, these priests, he tells them to speak God's blessing on Israel. God is going to bless Israel. He tells Aaron and his sons, speak this blessing to them. And God, God tells Aaron, tells Moses to tell Aaron, the exact words that he wants them to say. This is the exact blessing that they are to speak to Israel. They're to say to the people of Israel, verse 24. Number 6, verse 24, look at this. This is the blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You guys ever heard that before? You ever heard that blessing? So in, in this blessing here, there are three phrases in number 6, 24 to 26. Three of these phrases are repeated in Psalm 67 verse 1. You maybe heard them. Gracious, bless. And make his face shine. They're repeated. From number 6, they're repeated in Psalm 67. But notice the difference in Psalm 67. Instead of these words being spoken in the second person, bless you, be gracious to you, make his face shine upon you. Here the psalmist, this is interesting, the psalmist is taking this position as a representative of all of Israel. And he is invoking Aaron's blessing on the whole people. He's assuming that position. It's interesting. He's, he's invoking that, that blessing. So this is what he says from number six. He says, God be gracious to us. May God bless us. May God make his face to shine upon us. And this is amazing right, just right here. This is amazing that this is happening. But look at verse 2. This blessing has a purpose. The psalmist is saying, God, apply the number six Aaron's blessing to us. God, be gracious to us. God, bless us. God, make his face to shine upon us. Verse 2, so that 
Your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. In other words, he's saying, bless us, God, for the sake of the nations. All nations. He's saying, God, I'm asking you, do good to us in order that all the nations may see you and know you and worship you. Bless us so that we will be a blessing to all. That's the heart of Psalm 67. That's where the hope of all nations praising God is coming from. And and here's where Psalm 67 starts to uncover for us a central message in the whole storyline of Scripture. One way to say it is that this, this central message, this theme in all of Scripture, is that God has always meant for his people to be a so that people. We exist not only for ourselves to know and enjoy God, but also so that others may know and enjoy God. Which means, church, we have a missionary calling. We have a purpose that extends beyond ourselves. That's what it means to be a so that people. And this has been God's will for his people since the very beginning. He is worthy of the worship of all nations. And so, he will have it. God will have the worship of all nations. And he has determined that his people will be the means for how he has it. And so what I want to do now, for, for, the, for most of the rest of our time, is I just want to make this point clear. Again, this is like a Bible study, okay? But I, I want us to step out of the book of Psalms, and I want us to go back to the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, and I want to show you that God's plan from the start is that he have a so that people. The people of God have always had a missionary calling to magnify his glory among all nations. So we've understood Psalm 67, I hope. Now we're uncovering this central message. And to do that, let's look back at Genesis. So turn to Genesis, very first book of the Bible. And in the book of Genesis, on your phone, look at Genesis chapter 12, okay? We're going to pick up the story with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. This is the, 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 so Abraham in Genesis 12 is the solution to the problem that was created in Genesis 1 to 11, okay? Now in Genesis 1, the very, very beginning, God created Adam and Eve as his image bearers to be fruitful and to multiply and to, and to fill the earth. And, and the, the vision there is that Adam and Eve were to expand the Garden of Eden. Life in the presence of God was God's plan for the entire earth. That's how the glory of God would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. But in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve rebelled against God and his word. And because of Adam and Eve's sin, they brought the curse of sin 
on this world. And in Genesis chapter 4 to 11, we see the ramifications of that curse. We see what that means. By Genesis chapter 10, after God sent the judgment of the flood, after God hit a hard reset with Noah, in, in Genesis 10, we see the descendants of Noah have become 70 nations. And in, in chapter 10, this is called the, the table of nations. It's basically a list of all the nations or peoples on the earth. When I say nations, think peoples. Genesis 10 lists, lists out 70 nations or peoples, and the list is meant to be representative of all the nations on the earth. Genesis 10 is meant to give us a universal perspective. It's, Genesis 10 is saying this is all humanity in Genesis 10. And then the very next chapter, Genesis 11, what happens? We get this universal vision of all humanity. And in Genesis 11, rather than these nations do what God had told Adam and Eve to do and Noah to do, which is to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, rather than they obey God and do that, what do they do? They try to consolidate in rebellion against God. They come together and say, we don't want to be spread. Let's, let's come together and reach heaven ourselves. This, this is the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. So God brings judgment again. He confuses the languages of these peoples and he scatters them all over the face of the earth. Which, which is a, this is a mess. This is a mess. This is a bad thing. Because what it means is that now, instead of the whole earth being an expanded Garden of Eden with image bearers who all worship and enjoy God, now the whole earth is filled with different peoples alienated from one another and set against God. This is horizontal and vertical brokenness among all nations. See? This is an all nations problem. And we have to understand this in 1 to 11. We have to understand that this is a universal problem here. This is a problem for all, all the nations, all the peoples on the earth have the same problem. Alienation from one another and set against God. And so then Genesis 12. You guys hanging in there? Track with me in Genesis 12 because this is about to make Makes sense. Genesis 12, what God does in Genesis 12 is he looks out, as it were, at all these nations that have now been scattered in their brokenness over the whole earth. He looks out and he chooses one man, Abram. And God makes a stunning, radical promise to Abram in Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. Look at this. Look at Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Do you see what God said there? 
Everybody see what God's saying in Genesis 12, verse 2? I will bless you, Abram. I will make your name great. Why? Why, God? Why would you do this? So that you will be a blessing. In you, Abram, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so Abram becomes Abraham, father of a multitude. And here's what's going on in Genesis 12. Against the universal bad news, the universal bad news of curse and alienation, God promises the universal good news of blessing and restoration. Do you see that? This is just the first 12 12 chapters of the Bible. This is amazing what's happening here. God is stepping in and against this universal bad news that we've seen here in 1 to 11. The universal bad news of alienation, of curse and alienation. Curse and alienation. God comes and he gives a promise of blessing and restoration. See, it was an all-nations problem. Now we have an all-nations solution. Through Abram, he would have a nation, a people. God would have a people of his own to be a so-that people. God would bless them so that they would be a blessing to all. That was God's plan from the start. And so now we can see it in Psalm 67. Psalm 67 is not just alluding back to number 6. But Psalm 67 is alluding back to Genesis 12. Psalm 67 is tapping into a central theme that runs throughout the whole story of Scripture. Because later in the book of Exodus, God's plan and promise for Abraham is then repeated for the nation of Israel. When they were established as a nation, God said to Israel, Exodus 19, 5 and 6. He says, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant... You shall be my treasured possession among all nations, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And this just gives us more details as to how Israel will be a blessing to the nations. It's through their being a priestly kingdom. It's through Israel being a holy nation. Theologian Michael Goheen says that Israel's calling here is centripetal. Centripetal, so central, centrifugal is doing like that. Centripetal is when all the things on the outside are being drawn closer to the center. That's the idea. Centripetal, that was their calling. Things are moving closer to the center. Israel was meant to be a people that draws, like a magnet. They're to draw all peoples to themselves, to the center of God's presence with them. That's the point. Remember, that's what set Israel apart. It's God's presence. And so as a nation, they're to draw people to themselves as a nation to the presence of God. Goheen writes, quote, Israel is to embody God's creational intention for all humanity for the sake of the world, living in such a way as to draw the nations into covenant with God. Israel's Missionary calling was a come and see. Come and see. That was their calling. Come and see. Question though, how did Israel do with that calling? How'd they do? 
One, one thing for sure that the, the Old Testament history makes clear for us is that Israel failed miserably in this calling. Miserably. They, they failed so bad that by the time we open up the Gospels and John the Baptist and then Jesus steps in, uh, onto the scene, the, the leaders of, of Israel are extremely ethnocentric, right? They, they're supposed to draw all nations to themselves so, so that they would know the presence of God. And instead, the attitude that Jesus confronts, the attitude is the nations, ooh. Ooh, not those people. They have failed miserably in this calling. Israel was not a so that people. They were not the so that, so that people they were meant to be, which is one of the reasons why this, this missionary all nations hope is picked up so boldly in the Psalms and the prophets. The, the only way that Israel could fulfill their missionary calling is if God intervened and did something about it himself. And so in the book of Psalms, there are at least 175 references to all the nations. In the prophets, when men like Isaiah spoke on behalf of God about the future that God would bring, God says things like this in Isaiah. Isaiah 45, 22, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. Isaiah 56, 7, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Isaiah 49, 6, God speaking to Israel, his servant, he says, I will make you as a light for the nations, and my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. All three of those verses are quoted in the New Testament. The book of Isaiah ends with this amazing hope. The, the, the hope we see in the Psalms, the hope we see in the prophets, is that one day a true Israel, including all nations, a true new Israel that includes all nations, will be gathered together to worship God. This is how Isaiah 66 verse 19 ends. I will send survivors to the nations, to the coastlands of far off, that have not heard my fame or seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the nations. Isaiah 66, verse 23, all flesh shall come and worship before me, declares the Lord. This was the plan from the beginning to be accomplished through his people. Israel failed in this calling. So how does God do it? How does God accomplish the all nations purpose that he had for his people. He sends his son. Jesus came into this world as the offspring of Abraham through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Jesus himself, we see this in the gospels, he became the true and better Israel. He himself embodied the missionary calling of Israel. And he, by calling all people to himself, he began to create a new Israel 
reconstituted under a new covenant. That's why, you may wonder, why did Jesus call 12 disciples? Well, it's because the 12 disciples were like the 12 tribes of Israel. And we see this even at the beginning of the book of Acts. That when Jesus commissions his apostles, he says to them, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's Acts 1.8. You hear that? To the ends of the earth. Jesus, Jesus himself is the true and better all nation solution to the all nations problem. And we actually see this happening in the book of Acts through the church of Jesus. The church of Jesus receives the missionary calling of Jesus himself, the calling that God has always meant for his people. And we see this unfolding in Acts as the church spreads the gospel to the nations, to the Gentiles. And what happens in the book of Acts is that God's will for his people is not just that we're a come and see people, but now we're a go and tell people. Come and see and go and tell. And this is amazing in the book of Acts because what it means is that what God first spoke to Israel and then was fulfilled in Jesus is now applied to the followers of Jesus. We are blessed to be a blessing. God's saving power to us is so that his saving power will be known through us. All nations will hear God's fame and see God's glory because Jesus by his spirit is at work through his people. His people, which is his church, which is us, us, us. We, we have a missionary calling to spread the gospel of Jesus to all nations so that all the nations alienated from God and from one another in Genesis 11 would become in Revelation 7 a great multitude from all tribes and peoples and languages who standing together before the throne and before the Lamb cry out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God. Our God. All nations will say, our God. He's our God. That's the vision. Psalm 67 here, see, it's a little song. It's about the future. Psalm 67 gives us a glimpse to where everything is headed. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And here, here is where I think for us, we might need a little twist in our thinking, a little adjustment in how we think. Before we hear this and then just jump in and say, yes, we have a missionary calling to take the gospel to the nations. Before we say that, we first need to realize that we in this room are the nations. Track with me here. When the Old Testament talks about 
the ends of the earth. Even in Acts 1-8, when Jesus is standing in Jerusalem, and he, he tells his apostles to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. That's us. You get it? That's us. We are, biblically speaking, which is how we should speak, right? With a biblical perspective, okay, we are the ends of the earth. We are the peoples. We are the nations. We, we're foreigners. We are a long ways from Jerusalem, y'all, right now. This is important for us to understand. And it's, it's so important that I'm going to come back and talk about it next week. I think it's really vital for us to get this. But I just want to say for now, what it means is that we should never think about our role in global missions as us doing a favor for all the peoples way out there. Instead, get this, we owe our very existence to global missions. We're not doing a favor for anybody. We wouldn't be here if it were not for the fact that missionaries were sent. We would not be here if it were not for the fact that Jesus indeed did have witnesses to the ends of the earth. And that changes things for us. Because it, it, means, it means what we're doing here is, is we're, we just want to get in. We want to be a part of the grace that is behind who we are. Part of who we are. See, we've inherited, we've inherited a missionary calling. It's, it's part of the package, man. We've been welcomed into this thing. We've been welcomed into a gospel that, by definition, spreads to the ends of the earth. Because God has a people who will take it there. So I think this is just the first thing we have to get clear. As we think about global missions, we are not, listen, we are not trying to be on the front edge of anything. We're not trying to do anything new. Good grief. We just want to stop and say, why are we here? Why are we here? It's because God has determined to always have a people to be a so that people. We've inherited that grace. And now, now, I believe that if we can understand that and see where we are in light of the grand storyline of Scripture, then, then is where I believe the Spirit will lead us to greater faithfulness in God's purpose to magnify his glory among all nations. We should just be humbled. We should be humbled by the plan of God. Just go read Romans 9, 10, and 11. We, we should. We should just take a minute and just go. That we're even here. That we're even here. We should be humbled by the plan of God. And in that humbling, we surrender to that calling that we've inherited. Yes, yes, we will be about your glory, O oh God, to all the nations. And that's what brings us now to this table. This table, the Lord's table, is a table that looks both backwards and forward. 
as we, as we take the bread and the cup, we remember the death of Jesus for us in the past, and we look forward with hope to the day, because of Jesus' death, when all the nations will gather and feast and worship God together. I think it's important for us to remember that this table, listen, this table is not our table. It's the Lord's table, okay? Which means as we are here in this local gathering, as we're here sharing in this table, there are churches all across the world who are sharing in the same table. And I want you to think about this as we take the bread and cup. As we share in this table now, united to all Christians all over the world who share in this table, we share in it now, united but scattered. But we do it in the hope that one day we will feast all together in the presence of the Lord Jesus. So we'll serve the bread first. His body is the true bread. Let us serve.